You're listening to Thrive Beyond Size, episode 114. Welcome to Thrive Beyond Size, the podcast that's all about finding health, joy, and liberation beyond weight. If you're ready to break free from diet culture and embrace a lifestyle that celebrates your body regardless of your size, you're in the right place. Here's your host, health and wellness coach, Dr. Michelle Tubman. Well, hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. How are y'all doing? I am sitting here in my office. It's mid-August. It's absolutely gorgeous outside. I have to work a little bit later today, and I have another shift tomorrow. And then Rob and I are off camping for two full weeks, and I cannot wait. We purposely booked camping in a place where there is no cell service, and so I will actually get to unplug for a good two weeks, and I cannot wait. I'm going to miss you. I sure am, but I'm going to love spending quiet time in nature just a little bit more, I think. Anyway, I recently read the book, The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love by Sonia Renee Taylor. Now, this is a book that I've had on my bookshelf for quite a long time. She recently released her second edition, which I also went and purchased and decided I finally need to read this. And the reason why I had delayed reading this book so long is because she talks about something called body terrorism. And that term just turned me off for the longest time. And how Sonia describes body terrorism is really just the systems and structures that are in place in our society that maintain the things that marginalize certain bodies, such as those of us in larger bodies, people of color, people with disabilities, people who are sexual minorities. And I had a hard time wrapping my head around that concept because I didn't want to face the fact of my own fatness, right? And I think, you know, when I often hear people talk about thin privilege, and I get it. But for a long time, I didn't get it, right? I I honestly would look at my life and feel like, you know what, I became a doctor, even though I'm fat, I have a great marriage, even though I'm fat, I go camping, and I do hiking, and I travel, and I do the things I want to, even though I'm fat, therefore, my fatness is not an issue. And then I, you know, I frequently get emails or messages on social media from people who listen to the podcast and they go back and they listen to the first few episodes and they hear my stories of how I have been fat shamed throughout my life. And I have just kind of turned a black eye or not a black eye, (laughs) no black eyes, turned a blind eye to all of that stuff because it just hurt me too much to actually think about it. And then once I started acknowledging the existence of this in my own life, and then looking at how dramatically it affects the lives of people I love, then I really got upset. I got hurt. And there was just too emotion, too much emotion there for me to actually sit down and do more reading about this. And so over the last few months, I've been doing a lot of reading and, you know, listening to podcasts and finding people on social media who are talking about this more. Now, I find some of these people go a little bit too far, like I don't feel quite safe in all of the spaces, but I have found, you know, people who are gentle. They're taking a gentle approach to talking about this. And I wouldn't categorize Sonia in that um, box. She's not gentle. She puts it right out there, but she puts it out there in a way that makes a lot more sense to me. So I finally was able to get through this book. And what I what I really love about it is that 
yeah, she talks about these systems and structures in our society that have placed what we call implicit bias inside of all of us. And so what happens as you grow up in a culture where it's just normal to hear that fat is bad and fat is is ugly or fat is funny or fat people are lazy and unmotivated, all of those things, and we start to believe them. And then if we also happen to live in a body that those things describes, then we begin to believe those things about ourselves as well. And yes, of course, there is so much work to be done in our culture, in our society to address the systemic sizeism that exists and the systemic weight discrimination that that exists. But Sonia really emphasizes the the fact that a lot of this has to start with ourselves, that we have to be able to remove ourselves from the effect of this, really acknowledge the implicit bias within ourselves and turn that around into what she calls radical self-love, which goes way beyond self-compassion or appreciating your body or even loving your body and really takes you into this place of understanding on a very fundamental and intuitive level that you are beautiful and valuable and worthy of everything, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what age you are, what gender you are, what race you are, what size you are, what your body looks like, what your abilities are, what your sexual orientation is, all of the things, none of that matters. We are born worthy and we stay that way throughout the duration of our lives. And we just happen to forget that as we go on. And so really, Sonia is talking not just about sizeism or fat shaming and weight discrimination that happens in our society, but the way that the ways that we are judged by our bodies in any way. And so she tells stories of, you know, someone she used to ride the bus with to school who had alopecia, which is, you know, parts of the hair missing on the head and kids teased her about that and how she held on to that for a lot of her life. And I can certainly recall all the times that I was teased about my body for various different reasons, right? I used, I have like big front teeth and people used to call me thumper after the rabbit because of my buck teeth in school all the time. I still remember that. Um, my mom used to laugh at the way I run in soccer games when I was a kid and I still feel self-conscious whenever I have to run in front of other people. And, you know, I also remember my a, a teacher in elementary school telling me that I was too skinny in the change room at gym class. And for years, I would only change in the privacy of my own little cubicle because I was too ashamed to let anybody see my my what was then too skinny body. Oh, the irony, hey? And so as we hear these messages about ourselves, as we grow up, we internalize them. And then we also get these subtle and not so subtle messages through commercials on TV, through ads on billboards, through social media that just perpetuate the myth that tall, skinny, long blonde hair, fair skin, right, is is what's considered ideal. And so every time we see an advertisement that tells us we're not quite up to par, we internalize this message that we're not enough. So it might not always be this this conscious stream of thoughts going through our mind. It's it's something that we internalize and know on 
a rather visceral level and don't necessarily have the thoughts to put to it. And so what Sonia is really advocating for her um, for us in her book is for us to really gain the skill of looking at how all of these things have been internalized and then take some steps to reclaim our own power back. And so I want to read a poem to you, actually. Um, at the very start of the second edition of her book, she has a poem that she wrote about her mother, and she actually dedicated the book to her mother. And I just think it's such a beautiful example of what it can look like if we can step aside of, of the, the fat shaming that we put upon ourselves and upon the people that we love. So she calls the poem, My Mother's Belly, and here it is. The bread of her waist, a loaf I would knead with eight-year-old palms sweaty from play. My brother and I marveled at the ridges and grooves, how they would summit at her navel, how her belly looked like a walnut, how we were once seeds that resided inside. We giggled, my brother and I, when she would recline on the couch, lift her shirt, let her belly spread like cake batter in a pan. It was as much a treat as licking the sweet from electric mixers on birthdays. The undulating of my mother's belly was not a shame she hid from her children. She knew we came from this. Her belly was a gift we kept passing between us. It was both hers, of her body, and ours for having made it new, different. Her belly was an altar of flesh built in remembrance of us, by us. What remains of my mother's belly resides in a container of ashes I keep in a closet. Every once and again, I open the box, sift through the fine crystals with palms that were once eight, feel the grooves and ridges that do not summit now, but rill through fingers. Granules so small, more salt than sweet today. And yet I still marvel at her once body, even in this form, say, I came from this. Isn't that beautiful? I think it's just a beautiful reminder of how magical our bodies are and how much joy they can bring us if we're able to put aside all of the negative crap that we put on our own bodies and bodies in general. And so what I'd like to share with you today are the four pillars that Sonia talks about to help us come back to this place of radical self-love. And the first pillar, pillar is taking out the toxic. And so this is really all about addressing how we absorb all of these images and ideas and messages about how our body should look from the media and the world around us. You know, one one of the best ways I think you can do this, and Sonia gives this as a um, exercise that you can do, is to really think about the last time some sort of body shame caused you to make a purchase of some kind. And when I think back, it's like, oh my God, this happens all the time. And not necessarily in regards to my weight, but my skin, right? I have spent my whole life, my childhood out in the sun. Um, I try to be good about sunscreen, but I'm not perfect. And I have got, you know, freckles and brown spots all over my hands and my arms and my face. And to me, they are a sign of age and age is a negative thing. This is something that I've absorbed um, from the society around me and an idea that I have internalized. And so when I see an advertisement 
either on TV or sometimes even when I'm just, you know, shopping somewhere and I'll see, I'll, I'll see an advertisement for a skin product that promises to, you know, smooth out my skin and take away those dark spots. The impulse to buy is strong and I often do buy. And so th this is something that happens all the time. Or how often do you see like a social media ad for like the, you know, body slimming shapewear? Are you ever tempted to purchase that, hoping that it's going to make your silhouette look just a little bit sleeker. And, you know, hair dye is, you know, is a great example. And it's, it's where we're frequently giving messages that hair is supposed to look a certain way. And, you know, lately, I've been a little bit self-conscious about my hair because I have a nine-year-old nephew her, who, for whatever reason, is very concerned about my short hair and keeps telling me that, you know, mom and everybody else's moms have long hair. You should have long hair too, Auntie. Why don't you? And I mean, it, it's it's amusing in a depressing way that you know my nine year old nephew has somehow internalized this message that women should have longer hair. And you know, I I, I also see lots of friends in my age group who are. Um, turning to embracing the gray. So they're stopping dyeing their hair to cover up the, up, up the gray. And I think like this is a brilliant step in the right direction. But I have an equal number of friends who are doing everything they can to color their hair and disguise the gray in every way, sh shape or form. So these are some ways that these toxic messages about how our body should look and behave come to us through media and the way things are advertised for us. And so if you want to start taking out the toxic, this really starts with being intentional about how you consume media in all its forms. And so are you able to spend less time on Facebook and Instagram where these products or these services that are promising to make us more ideal in some way are continually being offered to us. And if you can't, can you at least curate your social feeds so that you are seeing more of the people and the products and the businesses that are promoting things much more in line with your values and much more in line with this idea that you are enough just the way you are and you do not have to change any part of your body in way, shape or form to be considered beautiful and wonderful and worthy. And one way I think that it's easier to do this is to just Whenever you spend money, just stop and take a pause and ask if you are spending money because you think it's going to make you your body more acceptable in some way or form. And if spending this money is doing so in an in alignment with your values, right? And so I know for myself, if, if I'm honest and if I really pay attention, when I'm about to purchase something that I think is going to somehow make me better, I don't feel good about it. Like, like there's a, a dis-ease there for me and it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel fantastic. And I noticed this in particular with clothing. So for a long period of my life, I would get this idea that if I changed my style, if I changed the way I dressed, this would somehow change other more important aspects of my life. Like it might allow me to feel more confident or whatever. And it was kind of comical because, you know, a number of years ago when Rob and I moved from Toronto back, back to Alberta and we're packing up our clothes, I would have like six or seven distinct <laughs> different looks in my closet. And if a stranger were to come in and look at my closet, they would not be able to give you 
you know, a sentence that described my style other than chaotic. And I just had no idea how I wanted to dress because I kept buying clothes thinking that if I if I wear this particular style that's in right now, or if I wear that particular style, I'm going to look different to the people around me. And of course, that never happened. And so when I think back on how clothes shopping felt back then, it was not a good experience for me because it was coming from this place of feeling inadequate and like I had to change how my body looked in this world in order to feel like I belonged. Now I have a couple of clothes um, companies that I like to buy from, designers specifically that I like and whose business practices are in line with my values. And now shopping is an absolute pleasure. And if you do happen to look through my closet, there's a there's there's a different definite style there. In fact, it's so obvious sometimes that when I bring clothes home, <laughs> Rob will say, oh, that's so Michelle. Um, and it's true. And so that is one way that you can start taking out the toxic is just being more mindful and intentional about how you're consuming, both in terms of media and how you're spending money um, out there in the world. So taking out the toxic, that is pillar number one. Pillar number two is mind matters. And this is really all about examining your own thoughts. And so once you have stopped taking in these toxic messages from media and from our culture, then you can start examining your own thoughts and, and the ways of thinking that are keeping you stuck. And so, you know, some of the thoughts that are still keeping me stuck are around my skin that I need to have very clear, lighter um, firm skin without any of these dark spots, right? I, I keep I keep fixating on that. And although I have come so far in the appreciation for my body, I still freaking hate my cankles. I hate them. And I have this idea in my head that things are all just going to be so much better for me if I could just get rid of my cankles. When we talk about mind matters, what we're really wanting to do is find a way to befriend our own body again, to come to a place where we can notice where these thoughts are trying to keep us enemies with our body and rationalize with those thoughts so we can come back to a place where we can actually appreciate our body. And part of the problem is that what happens to many of us at a young age is that our brain and our body just kind of get divorced, right? That the brain is taking in all of these messages from society around us that tell us our body is just not good enough in one way or another. And so the way to survive that when we're younger is to just separate body and mind. And so my my own personal therapist sometimes talks about that us being talking heads, right? <laughs> that we're all just a bunch of heads floating around in the world and that we've forgotten how to actually be connected to our body. And so in order to come back to our body to embody again, we have to take a look at the thoughts we're having about ourselves that are holding us back and keeping us separated. And it's really all about breaking down your own mental walls. And the funny thing about all of this is that your brain and body actually want to be connected. This is their natural state of being. And once you allow yourself to come back into your body, it just feels oh so good because it's 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 where your your body and your mind have always wanted to be. And in fact, in her book, Sonia includes another small little poem by Nayira Wahid. And I really I really think it captures this idea. And it goes like this. And I said to my body softly, 
I want to be your friend. It took a long breath and replied, I have been waiting my whole life for this. And you know, I really think that this is absolutely true. And it really leads into pillar number three, which is unapologetic action. And this means really starting to use that muscle of radical self-love to take action that is going to reconnect you back to your body again. And Sonia will refer to radical self-love as a muscle that we have to continue to use and build or else it will atrophy. So this is something we need to be intentional about on a daily basis. And it's really all about getting to know your body again, because for so many of us, our body has become like a stranger. And how can you radically love a stranger, right? You can't. So you have to spend some time getting to know your body again, being in it, understanding what it likes, what it loves, right? And many of us stop even looking at our bodies, right? I mean, I think there's probably a portion of us that will spend a lot of time in front of mirrors scrutinizing, but not actually looking at your body in a loving, compassionate way. And there's another subset of us that just avoid looking at our bodies in any way, shape or form. We avoid mirrors. We avoid taking pictures of ourselves. We definitely avoid looking at pictures of ourselves. And not only does this help separate us from our body, but it certainly doesn't allow us to have any compassion or love towards ourselves or, or our bodies either. And the other thing that's funny about all of this, in my mind anyway, is that our bodies are designed to move. We love moving. If you look at young children who have not yet absorbed all of these toxic messages from society, they're moving all the time. They're in a constant state of motion because this is what our bodies love to do. But over the course of being teased about our bodies for various things, of becoming self-conscious about our bodies, of eventually truly believing that our bodies simply aren't good enough, we stop moving and we forget how good it feels to dance, to play, to have sex, to move around, to run, to jump, to skip, to, to even just have a massage, really, or and, and, and be in the body. And so, Unapologetic, unapologetic action really just asks you to come back to your body again. Can you start doing things that allow you to pay attention to your body? And so gentle ways of doing this might be, you know, just go get a pedicure and pay attention. Like don't check out on your phone, like don't check out to whatever they have on the TV screen, but actually pay attention to how it feels to have your feet and your legs touched, how the water feels when your feet are to uh, um, soaking, how it feels when they massage your ankles. And if you hate cankles like, like I do, can you actually really sink into how good it feels to have someone massage your ankles, right? It's amazing. Or can you just have a little dance party in your kitchen? Can you just turn on some music you love and dance around when no one's watching and just feel how good it feels to get lost in that movement and to be present in your body while you do so, right? Can you ask for some cuddles from your partner and just notice how good it feels to be held? And can you be present when they're holding you and not, not sending your mind elsewhere? Can you be present when you're out for a walk? Can you even just be present when you're sitting in your desk at work, noticing how your butt feels against the chair and how your feet feel against the floor? Can you just come back to your body again? 
That's what unapologetic action is. And in her book, Sonia just asks you to also ask yourself, what were you teased about as a child? When it comes to your body, what were you teased about? And can you notice how that is showing up in your life today? And then can you find ways to start to embrace those parts of your body that were teased when you were younger? Not easy work, but valuable work, I promise. All right. The fourth and last pillar that Sonia talks about is collective compassion. And compassion is really our internal compass, right? It's how we treat ourselves. It's how we know when we are being treated kindly and fairly versus when we're not. And this is true on how other people are showing up in our lives and treating us, but it's equally true for how we are showing up for ourselves and treating ourselves. Compassion and self-compassion is really just that little voice inside that tells you when you are treating yourself appropriately and when you are treating yourself cruelly. The difficult thing with implicit bias and all of these toxic messages about bodies that we take in from our society is that, yes, we treat our bodies like crap often as a result of these, but we often judge and criticize and treat other bodies unkindly because of these biases as well. And we're not necessarily always conscious that we're doing it. We're not necessarily doing it intentionally. I'm not suggesting that we're mean people. I'm suggesting that we take in these messages. They become a part of who we are and are reflected in how we interact with other people in our world. And Sonia really talks about it's n it's not enough to just trust yourself, that we have to trust other people as well. And that in order to trust ourselves fully, we have to trust others. And in order to trust others, we have to be able to trust ourselves as well. And transformation is really hard work. It's not easy to do all on your own. And you need some community around you. And this really comes back to this idea of finding people or groups on social media or even out there in the real world that embody this idea and the things that we talk about on this podcast so that you can develop for yourself a community around you of people who are doing the work to break free from these fat shaming chains that hold us back in in so many ways. And body shame just makes us distrusting, right? If you think back to all of those ways you were teased as a child, it's no wonder we don't trust our bodies around other people, right? We're waiting for the criticism. We're waiting for people to notice and point out the flaws. We're waiting for people to, to look at us and make judgments or make comparisons. And that hurts. And so, of course, we protect ourselves and we're just a little bit distrusting of other people. And so we, we, we need to do some work on trusting ourselves and trusting others. And I think that really starts with finding a community where you're free to talk about this stuff. And I think my community, the Nourishment Lounge, is a great place to start. And so if you're interested in finding a community like that, uh, please just uh, reach out to me at michelle at waysahealth.com. And we can set up a time for you to talk about um, how my community can help you embody self-love and radical self-love and body love and all of the four pillars that Sonia talks about in her book. 
And so before I sign off today, I just want to read one last thing from Sonia's book, The Body is Not an Apology. And this is in regards to this concept of compassion. And this short paragraph, I think, sums up for me exactly what compassion is and why it's so important. And it's probably the most beautiful paragraph on the topic I have ever read. So here it is. Before body shame stripped us of our inherent sense of self-worth, it stripped us of compassion. We saw failure in every mirror. We judged our every thought. We berated and abused ourselves because we were berated and abused by others. We thought the outside voice was our own, and we let it run roughshod over our lives. And then we judged ourselves for judging ourselves, trapped on a hamster wheel of self-flagellation. Oh, honey, that is no way to live. Without compassion for ourselves, we will never stay on the road of radical self-love. Without compassion for others, we can only replicate the world we have always known. Radical self-love is not about getting it right. Getting it right is a body shame paradigm. Radical self-love is honoring how we are all products of a rigged system designed to keep us stuck in stigma and shame. The only way to beat that system is by giving ourselves something the system never will, compassion. So there it is. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I highly recommend reading The Body is Not an Apology by Sonia Renee Taylor. I hope to get the courage to ask her to come be a guest on this podcast one day. And until then, take care. Mm -hmm.